the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It is the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Texas. If you can't tell, this cold weather is wreaking havoc on my voice, and I don't have that much of a voice to begin with. But we're here to take your phone calls and answer your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about our Christian walk, uh, anything and everything that's on your heart. I'll do the best that I can. All you have to do is call us. 210-340-9585. is our primary number. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit one button, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Now, normally on Wednesday, I'll tell you what my Bible study is all about for tonight. Um, However, tonight I'm not working. I'm not working. We've got a real treat for our church. We invite anybody from the radio audience who wants to come as well. We always have room on a Wednesday night, especially on a a Christmas shopping Wednesday night in December. Uh, But my friend Gail Irwin is going to be here uh, to share the word. He is the author of The Jesus Style. We're going to have some of those books that are available to be given away for free if you are interested. It is a a bestseller for many, many years, and you will be blessed not only not only by the book, but uh, by the message that, that Gail brings. Uh, he is the one man. Um, I'm, I'm real selfish with my pulpit. Uh, only people I know and really love and trust get there. He's the one man that if he walked into our church and I was in the middle of my message, I'd stop and invite him up to share. Uh, he and his wife, Ada, have just been wonderful friends of ours for a lot of years, and he's been a source of more encouragement than he could possibly imagine. So tonight at 7 o'clock, he will be here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. If you're interested, Google him, and YouTube Google him, and you will be amazed at, at the gift that God has given him. So that is tonight at 7 o'clock. Of course, tomorrow being Thursday, it's the date day edition of the program, and Paula will be live in studio with me as well. Okay, let's get to some questions. I've got a serious question to get started with. Um, This is an anonymous question, um, but uh, it's somebody who was either here on Sunday or um, just heard the message. She says, first, thanks so much for the intense message this past Sunday. It provoked me to search my heart and to strive even harder to please my Lord and Savior. I'm amazed that any true servant of the Lord could find offense in Sunday's teaching. 
It was excellent. So thank you very much for that. Now, the reason I even read that, not so I get a pat on the back, but um, before I get to the question, I think that's one of the dynamics that is really um, in place every time the Word of God is taught. When the Bible's taught, and I, I'm very direct when I teach, I'm more direct uh, when I'm teaching the people that God has allowed me the privilege of serving uh, than I am on this radio program by far. And um, um, there's just this dynamic um, when when the Lord's Spirit is is convicting people in their heart, uh, trying to convince them to change behavior or to um, get them to look at things a little bit differently. There's always going to be um, those who simply won't listen. They won't hear. And they resent a message that gets as personal as that one got. So um, it, it, it's not that somebody who could find offense is not a true servant of the Lord. It just means that their heart is not in a place where the Lord can really minister to them. So let me get to the question. Uh, the reason for my question today, my family is currently struggling as a result of a decision my daughter, 26 years old, made. Almost two years ago, she had sex outside of marriage and became pregnant. Out of that situation, my husband and I have our first granddaughter who has truly stolen our hearts. Um, my daughter is no longer with the child's father, but they have remained cordial. Unfortunately, he is the true definition of a deadbeat dad. We are capable of helping her financially provide for the baby and decided not to place on him child support because this would give him court-ordered time with the baby. Um, that would really not be good because he and his family are not believers and feel that children should be allowed to choose their own path in life, especially when it comes to matters of faith. As a believer, I will sacrifice any amount of money not to have my granddaughter taught such foolishness. We will teach her the goodness of Christ and salvation through his blood. My question to you is this. My husband has totally banned the father from coming to our home because of his lack of support. On occasion, he's requested to come over and see her. Um, he, the father, barely works and is not offered one dime for her care. Even though he's not a nice person, I'm wondering if it is the right thing to ban him from our home. My daughter's afraid that a granddaughter will suffer because all children need their fathers despite their ability to contribute financially. I want to support my husband, but often find that I'm caught in the middle of this continual argument between him and my daughter surrounding the fact that the father is not allowed in our home. Unfortunately, she's not in a place financially to move out. They would That would be the best option. I would appreciate your always insightful spiritual advice. Thank you. May God keep you and Mama Paula. Anonymous, these are always such painful things. I can't tell you how many grandparents have come to me and said exactly the same thing. Our daughter broke our heart, but this grandchild has changed our life. That's just God working all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And uh, God has a way of taking the ashes of life and turning them into beauty. And these grandchildren are just the, maybe even the, the greatest example of that power of God. Uh, a couple of things. I'm going to disagree with with the premise of, of your situation just a little bit. So please don't misunderstand my heart here. Uh, it's good that your daughter's no longer with the child's father. Uh, unfortunately, I've seen too many people they have a baby and they either move in together, they get married, and you find a, a believer, unbeliever situation that causes a lot of pain and that causes all kinds of pain for the child growing up. It's just a different kind of pain. Um, I'm never in favor, never ever in favor of a father of a child not being made to pay child support. Um, if if he gets court-ordered time, if he doesn't want to be in a child's life, he's not going to be there uh, very much anyway. But he, here's the thing. He has a responsibility. And, and we're, we're, we're not being a good witness for him if we just sort of, to suit our own needs or, or to make things a little more comfortable for us, uh, we, we, we don't make him grow up. This child needs a father who will support her. Uh, this child needs a father who will love her. We can't make the father love her. 
But what we can do is make him accept responsibility, and then we can pray for him with the right heart. Now, I wouldn't let him see her without paying for her, but I think he ought to be forced legally to do so. Uh, We're just not doing anybody any favors. I realize he's not a believer. He could care less about Jesus. But we're not doing anybody any favors if we give the impression that somebody can 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 sin, that they can get away with it and not experience any consequences. And often it is those consequences that the Lord will use to bring someone like him to faith in Christ. Now, I assume that you're praying for this father. Uh, I assume your daughter's praying for him and your husband is praying for him. You know, it's hard sometimes when when somebody has caused such pain in our life to pray for them, but that's when we need to pray for them all the more. So my advice would be, for whatever value you place on it, my advice would be to legally enforce child support payments. This young man needs to grow up. He needs to understand that nothing is free, and he needs to be made to pay. I have been a witness in lots of child support cases Judges don't fool around. It's about money. They have an obligation. And uh, I think that is the right approach. Now, having said that, I already told you I wouldn't let him come to my house and see the child at all until he was paying. Again, another consequence of his behavior, the choices that he makes. But it's very important that we allow the Lord the opportunity to work on him and through you because the best thing for your granddaughter would be for this man to become a Christian. And I know how impossible that sounds right now with the way he behaves. In fact, he's not a nice man. But the truth of the matter is God changed people that were far, far worse than him. I'm one of those people. And so I would make him pay. I would would do it legally. Um, and then if he comes over, you bite the bullet and make sure that, that he behaves himself, but you bite the bullet. Uh, he's not going to have much impact, if any at all, in teaching her the foolishness of being made or, or given the freedom to choose your own path when you're old enough to do so. Um, this granddaughter is going to be formed and shaped by the atmosphere of Christ in your home. So I, too, think he should see her, but not until he pays. And I think he ought to be made to pay. We never, ever help anyone by letting them escape the consequences of sin. Thank you and your husband for being there for your daughter and for your child or your grandchild. And um, the Lord's pleased with you. However, he loves this man her father. And as Christians, you got to love him too. You don't have to like him, but you got to love him, love him enough to make the best of things. So I hope that makes sense to you and thank you for the kind things you said about the Sunday study. It was a, a very, very direct Bible study about the way we live our lives in the light of the Lord's return. Here is a question from Danny. He says, The church I attend has some beliefs that have no basis in Scripture. Should I approach the pastor or just leave? You know, Danny, uh, most pastors, and and maybe this is a sad commentary, but most pastors uh, are, are pretty entrenched in what they're doing and why they're doing it, and they're not going to be um, moved by somebody from the, 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 the congregation coming up and challenging them in this way. Um I don't know what the beliefs are. You didn't make any mention of those beliefs. Uh, But this is one of those things where you do the best you can. You make an appointment with the pastor. Um, You approach him respectfully. You do so with with humility and in love. And you just say, I've, I've been coming to this church, and I see you've got this and this and this, and I don't find any scriptural basis for those practices or those teachings. So... I would like to have you explain to me what your biblical basis is for the things that you're doing and then see how he responds. Now, if if he is not humble, he will probably be offended and 
kind of challenge you to sort of the, well, who are you to tell me what to do kind of thing. If he doesn't take the time to sit down and talk with somebody in his church about these things, that would demonstrate a lack of humility. Uh, it looks to me, Danny, like your best decision is going to be to leave anyway. So leave by being a good witness, by asking the questions, trying to get some answers. Uh, you don't want to leave and talk bad about the church or talk bad about him. What you want to do is you simply want to get an explanation. If you don't get a satisfactory explanation, then you leave. If they continue, if they plan on continuing to do those things and you haven't got the answers, then just find a church that's going to teach the Bible. That's all. Just teach the Bible. Hope that helps. Danny, thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Um, phone's been quiet this week. We'd love your live calls and questions. Here is a, a question from Sarah. She said, Pastor Ron, is it possible for any believer to get the gift of tongues? Sarah, I believe it is. Now, uh, the, the reality is that not everybody is going to receive the gift of tongues. Uh, it's, I believe it's possible. The Apostle Paul said that I would you all spoke in tongues more than I do. Now, the gift of tongues is a wonderful gift. Um, I believe because it's a gift that edifies our our horizontal. I mean, I'm rather. I, I'm sorry, our, our vertical relationship with God. It strengthens it. Um, I think it is a gift that God truly will give to anybody with the faith to receive it. Now, here's the problem, Sarah. For many of us, it doesn't make sense. We can't get beyond the seeming um, nonsense of a language that we don't understand. Um, some of us want to understand so much. Well, what am I saying? And what's God answering? And, and uh, you know, we, we've got to get beyond that. I think there's a time when we've got to walk by faith and receive all the gifts that God has given for me. But it is a wonderful gift. I personally believe it ought to be pursued by every believer. And having said that, knowing that not every believer is going to receive the gift of tongues, Paul makes that clear in his letter to the Corinthians. Uh, I believe that it is a gift that every believer can receive if they only will do so. So I hope that makes sense. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate the question. Let's go to the phone lines now and talk with uh, Jack from Lockhart. Jack, thanks for calling. You're on the air. My question to you today is, what what is your take on these chain letter emails that come out that are biblically based typically saying you're going to receive all kinds of good, and if you don't, then uh, you're not a faithful person. I uh, just kind of wondering what your <laughs> take is on the—I'm I'm sure you've heard of these kind of uh, emails. You're supposed to yeah. send them to a bunch of uh, repeat—send uh, these out to, you know, extra amount of people. On uh, I'll just listen on uh, the radio and see what you say. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate the call. Uh, Jack, the delete key is what those— Emails are are destined for, so they're they're of no value. It's just junk, and uh, don't crowd anybody else's email inbox with that kind of stuff. Don't pay any attention. Don't read them. Um, just recognize them, delete them, and then go on to something that is more valuable. Um, I am appalled at times, Jack, by the the things that some Christians will forward from one place to another um, I'm struggling for technical terms because as you probably can guess I'm not very technical but you know it, it's just that we, we spend so much time with nonsense and so much of that time could better be spent by digging into the word of God spending time talking with the Lord remember we want to be careful we won't, don't want to pass on rumors we don't want to pass on stories that have been transferred all around the, the, the world. Um, as Christians, we're committed to telling the truth, to telling the truth in love, and those things simply aren't true, and so we just need to delete them. So, Jack, thanks for asking the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I love Jack's calls. He is a new believer, um, I think within the last month, and uh, he's asking questions about Day, everyday things that, um, you know, we, we recognize as new believers. we got to change the way we live our lives. So that's really good. Jackie asked the question, how was Jesus tempted in all 
ways like we are tempted. Um, Jesus was tempted, um, Hebrews says, though he was without sin. Um, and, and Jackie, he was tempted to a far greater degree. I mean, if you think about it for a moment, when we're tempted, we're tempted to the place where we give in. Jesus never gave in. So his temptation uh, went uh, beyond anything that we can imagine. Uh, Jesus was tempted by the same kinds of things that we are tempted by. Um, You know, it might not be the same temptations I personally have, but remember, he was tempted directly by the devil himself. Uh, He was tempted uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane when the full force of hell came against him. Uh, He was tempted every time he would grow a little bit impatient, and I don't mean in a sinful way, with the people around him. Um, so, so he faced the same kinds of temptations that we face every day. Now, I am certain that Jesus was never in a position where he was tempted to look. Uh, we, we were tempted in our world to look at pornography. Jesus didn't have that, that temptation. Uh, I'm sure that Jesus wasn't tempted to drink too much or, or, or those kinds of things. But he was tempted and yet resisted the temptation. He was tempted by sin, but he wasn't tempted to sin. That's a really important distinction. If Jesus could have sinned, Jackie, then he wasn't able to save us. In him is light. There is no darkness at all. Uh, the theological issue there is is called the peccability or the impeccability of Jesus. Could Jesus have sinned? And the answer is no, he couldn't have sinned. Though he was tempted by sin because there was no darkness in him, because he's Holy God in human flesh, he wasn't tempted to sin. I've had people say, well, how is that even possible? And I'll give you an example. In my life, Jackie, um, high school, I took my first drink of alcohol. It was Colt 45 malt liquor. And I just put it in my mouth. It was so nasty that I just spit it out. I've never swallowed a drink of alcohol. And, and I spit it out. And it was so nasty. I thought, I'm never going to do that. Somebody once said, well, well, you'll learn to like it. I thought, well, that's dumb. I'm not going to learn to like it. And uh, so um, um, even though I've been tempted by drinking, there was never any chance at all that I was going to give in and say yes because it was just offensive to me. Uh, I, I had a business partner one time tell me that if I didn't drink with him, he couldn't trust me. And I said, well, then you can't trust me because I'm not going to drink with you. And and it was simple for me. It wasn't like, well, a struggle. Should I do it or shouldn't I do it? It was easy. No, I'm not going to put that nasty stuff in my mouth. Well, all sin was like that to Jesus, Jackie. All sin. The thing that, that tempts you wouldn't tempt him. And so when we get tempted and we get to that point where we give in, Jesus was never close to approaching that place. Because the only thing that fulfilled Jesus was doing the will of his Father in heaven. So uh, Jesus was tempted to a greater degree than any of us, but he resisted sin, and he demonstrated in the resistance to sin how we can resist the temptations that plague us. So good question, Jackie. Thank you very, very much. I think I've got one more time, or one more time for for uh, uh, one more question. This is from Anthony. Pastor Ron, do you believe people can live a meaningful moral life on their own without God's help? Uh, Anthony, of course. There's lots of good people who are doing good things and their lives, at least from outward observation, uh, appear to be satisfying and fulfilling and rich and all those other things. Um what we know to be true, Anthony, is that even those people, in their heart of hearts, they know there's something missing because that's what God has created us to do. If we're missing Him, then there's a hole. There's this emptiness in our heart. But for anybody to think that, well, somebody who doesn't know Christ can't live a good moral life is 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 to think too highly of themselves because there's a lot of people who are unbelievers who have integrity. Uh, again, I said earlier, people that do really, really good things and make meaningful contributions to this world. Um, the problem is that on the inside, they're empty. 
you know, we see famous people, rich people, um, um, accomplished people, uh, people that really dive into doing good things, charity work and other things, because they're trying to fill that hole. They're trying to do something that will give their life meaning. And what we know, Anthony, is that never satisfies because the meaning of our life isn't to do good things. The meaning of our life is to worship God. And then, of course, when we worship God, we'll do good things. But, but you see, we've got our moral conscience as a guide. Every person, believer and unbeliever. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever is that the believer has the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living in us, to check us, to keep us from doing things that we know we ought not to do. The power to resist sin is available to us as believers. The power to resist sin is not available to those who don't know Christ. And often those uh, people that live meaningful moral lives, um, it doesn't mean they're without sin. It just means they've found a way to rationalize continuing to sin. And that describes a lot of the world that we live in. So, Anthony, I hope that answers your question. Appreciate it very, very much. We have 30 minutes left in today's program. All we need you to do is call us 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Texas. You're listening to The Word of Stand On For Life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes today. Uh, remember, tonight at Calvary Chapel San Antonio, Gail Irwin, my dear friend, will be here uh, sharing his heart, and he's got such a big heart. Believe me, you want him to share it with you. Here is a question from Jennifer. It seems to me like most Christians are not happy. If they really believe in Jesus, <laughs> wouldn't they be happier? You know, Jennifer, you ought to come tonight. Um, uh, Gail is is one of those guys. He asks questions like this all the time. Um, you, you're, you're right in maybe not right. I hope that doesn't sound too confusing um, the Christians who are not happy or they don't seem happy are the ones who sort of are not in the presence of the Lord the Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy and I'm not concerned with happiness as much as I am with joy happiness depends on circumstances joy is permanent never goes away but I think your criticism is fair um, if someone really believed in Jesus they should be happier uh, they should be positive. They should should be friendly. They should be warm. The, the fruits of the Spirit are, are the good fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Those, those things accompany the Christian who's walking in the Spirit. So what you're seeing, Jennifer, is the difference between a Christian who is empowered by God's Spirit. Now, we all have God's Spirit. But, but the unhappy Christian, the cynic, the one who's always complaining about things, uh, the one who's always focusing on problems, that's a man or woman who's not empowered by God's Spirit. Uh, they've given themselves over to the flesh. Um, we have no strength of our own uh, to, to, to fight the, the, the spiritual war. The person who is happy, the person who is positive and is looking up is the person who is filled with the Holy Spirit and he or she is walking in the power of the Spirit and um, and you're right, I think personally there's nothing as harmful to our Christian witness as a Christian who is miserable it just doesn't seem fair what we need to do 
is walk in the power of God. Walk with Jesus every day. I say all the time on this program, say it at church, just be with Jesus. And you can't help but to be happier. Again, it doesn't mean bad things don't happen. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. We do. We're in this world. The world has fallen. And, you know, the same thing that happens to unbelievers happens to us. But you see, we have a hope. Even in our grief, I'm doing a funeral this coming Saturday morning. And and, and even in our grief, this happens to be an older woman uh, who is a recent convert to Christ. Um, and, and the people that are grieving, even the grief will have joy because we are going to see her again. Um, the, the grieving family, these are painful things. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope. And because we have hope, well, then there's joy in our hearts. Again, don't confuse joy and happiness. And Jennifer, when you see a Christian who's not happy, who's complaining and being critical of things or cynical about things, ask them the question you asked me. Aren't you a Christian? Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, then why are you acting this way? Gail, who's going to be here tonight, Gail Irwin, he said his his whole life, his ministry was changed forever. And I love this story. Uh, he used to be an old Assemblies of God, fire and brimstone type preacher. And um, one day after giving a message, a typical fire and brimstone type of a message, um, he was out in the foyer, as, as is often the case, saying goodbye to people, greeting them and thanking them. And these people, mom and dad, came up and they had a little girl with them. And Gail, because he loves kids, uh, he kind of reached down. The little girl got behind her mommy's leg and said, Mommy, why is this man mad at me? And it's because she heard him yelling in the church. He said that was the last time he ever raised his voice in a church service. And it so impacted him that he's turned into the, the man that you'll see tonight. And he's been doing this a very, very long time. A very, very long time. And boy, I would love to have the list of rewards that await him when he finally goes to be with Jesus. So um, ask them the question you asked me, Jennifer, and it'll give you an opportunity to witness. And we're always looking for opportunities to witness. Here is a question from Nate. He says, Pastor, what is a eunuch in the Bible? A eunuch is somebody who's... um, Ability to reproduce sexually has been taken from them. They've been castrated. Uh, you see this in the Old Testament. Paul uh, carries the idea uh, across in the New Testament, so it was still um, um, a reality in the New Testament times. But, Nate, let me give you an example. When, um, If you read the book of Daniel, uh, and you, you see that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they were taken in the first exile, the first captivity, they were the best and the brightest, and that's what happened. Nebuchadnezzar took uh, Israel's best and brightest, um, took them to Babylon, and tried to take away their identity as Jews. Uh, and, and these were the people that were really, really bright. They had great potential. And um, potentially, these were men who would be in the most trusted areas of service for the king. Now, in order for the king to trust them, he would have them castrated. Um, that way, he wouldn't have to worry about them sleeping with any of his wives or any of the, the harems. And it was just something they didn't think. that Their full focus could be on serving the king. Uh, and so Daniel, uh, I mean, think about these three teenage boys, four teenage boys, including Daniel. Um, not only was their faith being stolen from them, or at least trying to be stolen from them. Um, they were they were in a process of becoming Babylonianized. I, I just make up that word um, because Nebuchadnezzar wanted um, people that were committed to his culture, and they refused. They were castrated, so their hopes of having a family, which is in the Jewish culture, as you know, was unthinkable. We we we, we marry, we have families, we reproduce. Uh, And they had no hope of that. And you can see their faith, their commitment, 
and their strength in the Lord. So that was a eunuch. We see in the New Testament an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, he was um, in the court of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, again, a trusted servant who uh, had a very high position. Um, and um, uh, because of that, uh, was made a eunuch. Um, we see back in the Old Testament, uh, uh, in, in the story of Joseph, uh, when Potiphar's wife was seducing Joseph, Potiphar, in order to be as high-ranking an official in Pharaoh's court as he was, would have been made a eunuch. You can understand why uh, Potiphar's wife was frustrated and tried to seduce Joseph. So it was just a way of life. Certainly it's not something that we do anymore, but, but it was the way it was back in the days of our Bible. Tough life. It's a tough world. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's an anonymous question. Is speaking in tongues the only evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Anonymous, I was just asked this question a week ago. There was somebody who was inviting somebody in our church to go to um, an Assemblies of God church. And he said, but, but they say that the only evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. So uh, the answer to the question in, in his question was no. Uh, it is, is not the uh, declarative. It is not the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is one of the things that sometimes happens when God gives the gift of tongues when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, anonymous, that's what happened in my experience, gosh, 28 years ago now. Um, but as I said to an earlier question, not everybody receives the gift of tongues because we just don't understand it or we don't want to entertain it. But it's not the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a gift of the Spirit. And to receive gifts of the Spirit, you have to have the fullness of the Spirit. But it is not a sign of super-spirituality. You know, Anonymous, the, the again, a declarative statement, the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is love. Just love. If you have no love, you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. So, if you want to know if somebody's really filled with the Holy Spirit, are they loving? Are they kind? Are they gentle? Again, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Look at the fruits of the Spirit. If you want to see if somebody's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, look and see if those gifts of the Spirit or the fruits of the Spirit are evident in their day-to-day lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. That's how you know somebody's grouchy and grumpy, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, not at least at that moment. Now, one other comment here, Anonymous. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, and I think a lot of the, the crazy charismania uh, in our church culture has, has, has sort of given uh, life to this notion that, well, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're speaking in tongues. And um, Being filled with the Holy Spirit needs to be a daily even an hourly experience. When I say just be with Jesus, so often it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're with Jesus, then all the power of the Holy Spirit is upon you and available to to be ministered through you. So it's not about speaking in tongues. It is the least of all of the gifts because it edifies only the user. Doesn't mean it's a bad gift. Every gift from Jesus is a good gift. But the greater gifts are love. And that's how you know if somebody's really filled with the Holy Spirit. 340-9585. Here is a question from Glenn. Uh, Would you please talk about conspiracy theories? Um... Glenn, you know, Roman says to be uh, simple about evil things. Be wise about that which is good and godly, but be simple about evil things. Conspiracy theories are evil. I actually believe, Glenn, they have a demonic power to them. And I say this, I don't say that lightly. My own family has been touched uh, by um, uh, an out-of-balance conspiracy theory view of life. Uh, I've watched men over the years who were filled with God's Spirit 
um, instead of spending time in the Word of God, they're spending time uh, pursuing conspiracy theories. And, and in essence, they lose their mind. They become insane. Um, uh, I, I've demonstrated or, or watched um, evidence that there's a demonic stronghold in these things. It's just the, the devil's attempt to throw us off, to change our focus from Jesus to things in this world. Uh, and, and I've never seen anything good come about them. They are not true. That's the most important thing you have to know. If it's not true, why would we spend even a moment about it? I also believe that our flesh, with the enemy's help, is predisposed to be interested in these things. Um, the, the person in my family who was being consumed at one point by these things, he used to look at me and say, Don't you care? That the government is lying to us? Don't you care that this happened and it's not the way it was reported? Don't you care? And my response to him was, does it really matter? Because you know, Jesus, you have what's true. Why wouldn't you spend your time, your energy, and your effort on sharing what's true with people instead of worrying about what might be or might not be true? So, Glenn, I found that they're dangerous they take hold and often end up controlling a person and nothing good ever comes from it. So avoid them like the plague. Don't get drawn in. Uh, I, I've, I've watched it. It's a trap of the devil. We are not unaware of his schemes, Peter tells us. So fight the good fight of faith against the weapons of the enemy. Rhonda asks, she says, a friend is trying to discourage me from eating meat products. He says, Jesus wouldn't eat meat. Is he right? Um, Rhonda, no, he's not right. Um, uh, there was a bumper sticker not long ago that I saw that said Jesus would be a vegetarian. Um, not true. Jesus ate meat. Um, we know he ate lamb for sure. Um so, yeah, he ate meat. Uh, so tell your friend to stop bugging you. That's as direct as I can be. Just tell him, if you want to be a vegetarian, God bless you. Uh, read Romans. Um, God will give you all the freedom to eat. He's declared, uh, according to the book of Acts, every food to be clean. So we don't have to worry about what's clean or unclean uh, and... and uh, being a vegetarian is not one of the requirements. So just tell him to mind his own business. Jack asks this question. When Paul says to Timothy that an elder should be the husband of one wife, what exactly does he mean? Because I know pastors who have been divorced. Um, Jack, the, the literal Greek is uh, a one-woman man. Now remember, in the ancient world, uh, polygamy was a fact of life, never approved by God, but polygamy was a fact of life. Um, um, it still is to a much lesser degree here, but what he's saying is, uh, in order to be a pastor, you got to be faithful to the one woman that God has given you. Um, you can't have affairs on the side, you can't have other wives, uh, you got to be committed to one woman man. If you can't be committed to the one woman you promised you'd be committed to, um, then the question is, how can you be faithful to the church that God has asked you to lead? So being a divorced man does not disqualify from somebody from being a pastor. Now, there are divorced pastors who shouldn't be back in the pulpit. Uh, they they divorce without biblical grounds. They they wouldn't take the advice that they've taught others to take over the years. Um, when things got hard, they bailed. Uh, and, and I think I think we have accountability. James says that we're to be judged more strictly uh, than other people. Um, and I believe there are pastors who shouldn't be still in the pulpit because of that. Now, if if they've had a divorce, it wasn't their fault. Uh, God's always there for the victims. Um, that's a different story. Uh, if somebody was divorced before he became a Christian and then uh, became a Christian and has been faithful, that, that doesn't disqualify him uh, either. 
So I think we've got to be nuanced. We have to always factor in and balance grace when we read these things. But uh, the one thing that is completely clear is that the woman to whom we are married is the woman that we have to be committed to. If you can't do that, then you have no business making commitment to the people of God. If you can't keep the promise to God in your own home, um, what makes you think you're going to keep the promise in God's house? So that's what Paul means when he talks to Timothy. By the way, um, when we finish uh, the Gospel of Luke, we're in uh, Luke chapter 22, starting this coming Sunday. Uh, when we finish the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be teaching on Sunday First Timothy. I've taught it before, but on a Friday night, um, our Friday night study. Uh, so uh, we're going to be starting after the first of the year sometime. Uh, and it'll be probably uh, another eight weeks or so because there's so much in the last chapters of Luke. Um, maybe even more than that. Uh, but we're going to be going to uh, to the pastoral epistles. We're going to teach First Timothy on Sundays after that. So the husband of one wife means be faithful, be committed to one wife, not have a wandering eye or a wandering heart. Um, we have to demonstrate faithfulness. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I don't even know how much time we've got left in this half of the program, but here's a question from Reggie. About five minutes. Um, Reggie says, how do I balance the desires I have from my life and the desire to be in the will of God? Oh, Reggie, that's a loaded question. Here's the thing. There can't be any balance. Jesus said to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, Luke adds daily, and follow him. So there's no balance. We're either all in for Jesus or we're not in at all. That's really important. You know, when Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we should offer our bodies in view of everything that God has done, in view of his goodness, in view of his greatness as demonstrated in the first 11 chapters of Romans. We should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And then he says this, using the King James language, it's our reasonable service. The reasonable thing we can do, considering everything God has done, is give him everything. So Reggie, there can't be any balance. Now here's what you can do. You can say, Lord, this has always been the desire of my heart. I want to do this or I want to do that. Uh, I've, I've planned on it my whole life. Um, but, but now, Lord, because I belong to you, what I really want is what you want. So I'm grateful that you call me. I, I can ask you to bless the plans I have for my life. At the same time, I'm willing to lay them aside in order to follow you, Jesus. I want your will for my life. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do. That's the model for us. I think so often, Reggie, we're trying to find balance between worldly stuff and, and, and the desires of our flesh and the desire that's innate in every single one of us as born-again Christians because the Spirit of God lives in us. I think we're trying to find a, 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 a healthy compromise that so we can get what we want and still serve God. There's no way to do it. There's no way to do it. Many years ago, Reggie, there was a, um, a young man, he's uh, in our church, who uh, was clearly gifted to teach the Bible. Um, he was in my pastor's discipleship class. Um, he knew God was calling him to be a pastor. We didn't tell him that. He told us. Um, but he was really struggling because his career was also um, going great places very, very quickly. And he, he kept struggling with this whole idea of, of wanting what he wants and wanting what God wants. Well, he made the wrong choice. And the result, this young man, I don't know, seven or eight years later, took his own life. That's how tormented, how conflicted he was. The only balance is no balance. Jesus, you own all of me, every bit of me. I want what you want. And, and you see, it takes faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six says, 
So what we got to do is have enough faith to say, Lord, yes, this is what I want. But your track record's pretty good. Everything that you want for me is infinitely better than anything I want for myself. And again, that's no balance at all, Reggie. Thank you for the question. Here is a question I can do. I've got two minutes left. It's from Lee. He said, what do you think of pastors taking sabbaticals? Honestly, Lee, I know nothing of a sabbatical. Um, it's never occurred to me to take time off. I mean, I take vacation time every year, but, but it's never occurred to me to take an extended uh, length of time. I have friends who have done so and have been blessed by them. Uh, and, and I actually have a friend who's an apologist for sabbaticals. Every pastor ought to take a sabbatical just to get away from the Lord. Uh, I think it's up to you if, if you're a pastor, Lee, and you're asking the question. Um, as for me, it just wouldn't work. Um, I don't want to be away from what God has called me to do. I'm not looking for some uh, deeper revelation of, of, of spirituality or, or pursuing new doctrines. I'm not looking for a, a different calling in life. I'm content where I am doing what I do. Uh, and frankly, I couldn't imagine it. When Paul and I are on our vacation, and as much as we love the beach, we, we spend our time same place every year. Um, at the end of two weeks, we're ready to go. We want to be back home with our people. And that's just God sort of whetting our appetite. Uh, now we're rested, we're refreshed. Oh, let's get back and do the work. So so I, I'm, I'm not one to ask on this. I've seen pastors uh, who um, thrived after sabbaticals. Uh, I've seen pastors who took sabbaticals and realized on a sabbatical that they were just running away from something. So I don't know. Not the, not the right person to ask. Erwin will be here tonight at 7 o'clock at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the Date Day edition of the program. Lord willing, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.